As a reminder, our theme verse is Luke chapter 4, where Jesus gets up and reads in the synagogue, and then we're going to be adding to it this morning a passage out of, a, a verse out of Romans 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. When we came to Nazareth, when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. From Romans. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? The word of the Lord. There was a man who worked very, very hard every day. He was uh, in management in a big corporation and he worked his heart out. He tried to do the best for the people he managed and he, he was exhausted at the end of the day, often worked 10 or 12 hours days just because it was what was demanded of this corporation. And then he would come home and he would sit with his kids and he'd listen to their days and he would talk to them about their homework and help them with their homework. And then he would help clean up dinner and he would do dishes. And this was his routine day in and day out. And he found times where he could get a rest or where he could find some fun for himself. And he would get out with friends. He'd go fishing or he'd go biking or whatever else that he could do. And then one day he came home and his wife began to act a little bit frustrated with him. And he kind of thought, well, maybe that's just kind of she, her day's been bad and she's been really struggling. So I'll, I'll let it go. And the next day he comes home and she's, she's even more frustrated and angry with him. And the next day, even more, soon it starts to blow up into fights. Soon it starts to become arguments that they're having after the kids go to bed and they're yelling at each other. And of course they know the kids could hear down the hall, but the tensions have ratcheted so high that they can't communicate anymore without some kind of argument or some kind of failure in their marriage. And then the wife says, we need to go see a marriage counselor. And so they go, they go to the marriage counselor and in the first session, the marriage counselor asks each of them to kind of express and talk about their feelings with the marriage and how they're doing. And then they keep coming over and over again. And finally, at some point, the counselor asks each of them to share, why do you feel like the tension is in your relationship? And the wife, as she begins to tear up and share, she says, I don't think he loves me anymore. I don't feel like he loves me anymore. 
The man looks and says, what are you talking about? I work hard every day to provide for our family. I come home every single day and I spend time with our kids so that I could be a good father. And then I help with the dishes afterwards. What do you mean I don't love you anymore? Why do you think I do all of these things? And his wife looks at him and says, but you haven't told me you've loved me in four years. And the last time you told me was on our anniversary when you kind of gave me a card. You haven't shared with me how you feel about me. You haven't told me that you care for me and love me and that I'm special to you. You haven't told me how beautiful I am in close to a decade. There's some men in here, they're like, shut up, Chris. My life is hard enough without you telling my story in the front of the sanctuary. Communication is important. Imagine a marriage that went along without ever words of affection and intimacy and care and love ever being shared. Every marriage like that that I've known eventually ends. Either in practical ways with a divorce or in ways where they pretty much just sleep in two different rooms and they're kind of roommates now, right? We've all seen these before. Communication matters. What we say with our words to one another matters, and what we don't say matters. I have, in my experience in the Presbyterian Church, many of you know that I was not raised Presbyterian. In fact, actually, my parents were, or my mom was raised Catholic and uh, took us to Catholic Mass until I was probably about six or seven. And then we ended up in an evangelical, non-denominational Baptist church when I was around like 12 or 11 or something like that. I don't know, somewhere around there. And that's where I, my life in the Protestant faith kind of began. And I had been in Baptist churches. I had been in Christian Reformed churches, non-denominational churches. And I had never, ever even darkened the door of a Presbyterian church until I was called to be a youth minister in a Presbyterian church in Santa Barbara. And so my history is very different than a lot of you in the pews. And some of you in the pews share that same history with me. But my history with the faith is not just in Presbyterianism. And so sometimes as I have lived this life for the last like 12, 13 years in Presbyterianism, I have noticed some things that are very different than the, my prior life in the faith before Presbyterianism. And here's one thing that I never heard before I ever got into the Presbyterian church. You know, I'd much rather see a sermon than hear a sermon. Never heard that before. I was in the Presbyterian church. Another one. You know, St. Francis of Assisi once said, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Bunk. It's garbage. St. Francis of Assisi didn't say that. Not only didn't he say that, there's no way he would ever say that because St. Francis of Assisi would go into the forest and preach a sermon to deer and birds using his words. St. Francis of Assisi knew the importance of verbal communication for telling truth. So much so that he did it to animals. 
But us in our tribe in Presbyterianism, we've come up with this idea that we are very intellectual about our faith and we try and think through everything. But then when it comes to personal interaction with our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, that we don't really want to share our personal thoughts. That's private. And so if they, if they really bug me about it, I'll share something. But if they don't bug me about it, I'm not going to share anything. And I'll just hope that they somehow infer it from my actions. Guess what? It don't work. Because words are necessary to share the story of God. In 2 Kings, there's this phenomenal story. If you haven't read the history books in the Old Testament, oh man, you need to go back. They are so, so good. In 2 Kings, there's a story where there is a siege of a town in Samaria by a Syrian king. You know, in those days, in order to somehow sack an unsackable town, what you would do is you would get an insurmountable army and you would surround the entire town and you would cut off their supply lines so that no fresh water, no food, no anything could get into the city. And you would wait until the people inside got so desperate that they would just surrender themselves to you a fear of just sheer death by starvation. And so this is happening. This king is sacking this city, sieging this city in Samaria, and he is waiting for them to just fall apart. And sitting outside of the city are four lepers, four men who have this disease where their nerves are starting to fail and that their body, they don't know when they're touching something hot or when they cut themselves and their body's literally starting to fall apart and there's sores on them and they don't really know in those days what is going on with them so they just declare them unclean, they declare them as some uh, outcasts and they push them outside the city and so they're not even allowed in on the siege. So the first chance that Syria has to come in, these men are going to die first. And they're sitting there and they're starving. They only were existing on the kindness of those who might be coming in and out of the city who might be able to throw them some crumbs. And they're sitting there and they're going to die. And they, they begin to talk to each other and they say, you know what? Let's take our chance with the, the kingdom of Syria. Let's just walk out to their camp. Let's just walk out to their camp and just say, hey, We'll be your slaves, whatever. Whatever you need us to do, we'll just do it. And if they kill us, fine, they kill us. We're going to die here anyways. But maybe they may take mercy on us and we might get some food. They get their guts up and they decide, all right, let's go. So they began to walk out. Now, a little part of the story, the prophet Elisha had just prophesied that the siege was going to end just prophesied that the siege was going to end. Against all odds, he had prophesied that God was going to solve this problem. And so these four lepers walk out of the city and they go to the Syrian camp and they get there and guess what they find? Nothing. A deserted camp. As though in the middle of the night, all of the soldiers were spooked by something and had left in a quick rush and left all of their riches, all of their goods, and all of their food just sitting there. And so they get there and they realize, oh, we can have a feast together. And so they began to collect food and collect riches and they're sitting in a tent together and they're eating and they're enjoying the food. And then one of them says, you know, maybe we should go back and tell the town. 
How many of you would have thought maybe we should go back and tell the town? No one raised their hands. That's really honest. <laughs> After having been left as an outcast, not cared for, treated like garbage, just basically given scraps outside of the city, you weren't even allowed in during a siege. And one of them says, we should go back and tell them. They had found something amazing. God had given their city salvation. And not only given their city salvation, had left all this, this, these goods, these riches, for the city to just come and to plunder with no resistance. And the news was too good. The news was too good for them to just sit there and enjoy it by themselves. They had to go back to the city to share with the city the good news that they had found. Amazing. So they did. They went back and they shared the good news with the city. That's the best picture I could find of them. Jesus, in this Isaiah passage, says the word speak, proclaim, declare, share, preach, good news, over and over again. Because Jesus saw an important part of his ministry as verbal, as a need for him to proclaim what God was doing that was good because he knew of God's goodness and he knew the new work that God was doing, breaking the kingdom of God into this world. And so big part of his ministry was running around and teaching. And so he would teach in these large settings, sitting on the Sea of Galilee, and he would share things. And sometimes he would share things in nebulous terms and kind of like weird phrases. He would say things like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he would use an analogy that's almost impenetrable. And sometimes he wouldn't even share what that meant with the big group. He'd share what it meant with his 12 disciples, those closest to him, so that they knew. But he would wouldn't disclose, but sometimes he was clear as day. You have heard it said, but I say to you, as he increased our knowledge of what God's goodness and favor was to us. But he didn't just stop there. He did it in small settings. We know the story where he stops in Samaria, the same place of the story in 2 Kings, and he stops at a well, and when the disciples go in to buy food, there's a woman that comes out in the middle of the day, obviously ostracized because she's not coming with the rest of the women at the beginning of the day, and she begins to pull water, and Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. And Jesus, in her own words, when, by the way, she goes back to share with those in Samaria what she had found at the well, Jesus. When she goes back, her words were, he told me everything I had ever done. Jesus, using his words, shares with her life and hope and healing and wholeness to a broken woman who can't even come with the rest of the women at the beginning of the day to pull water from the well. We have good news. You have good news. We have unimaginably good news for this broken world. We have the news 
that the God who created every single one of these busy people who run around Dearborn and Michigan and beyond just living their lives, wondering what is next for them and suffering under the weight of their own sins, suffering under the weight of other people's sins. And we hold good news that that God who made them loves them so much that he would give himself on the cross so that he might reestablish a connection with them. You hold this good news. And the world is waiting for you to share it. Like that town in Samaria that didn't know what had happened. And it breaks my heart. Every minute when I buy into the lie that faith is a private thing, don't talk about your faith. Because if I really believe the good news that I have, I would burst from this place and shout it as loud and as long as anybody would listen to me so that they might get it too. Do we love people enough to share with them the bounty we've found? Do we love people enough to be complete in our mission and not just focus on giving money, not just focus on giving service hours, not just focus on social justice, but to share the good news of Jesus so that people would hear and believe, are we willing to become beautiful feet that bring the gospel outside of these walls? That's a question we have to answer. And I pray every day that each and every one of your answers is a resounding yes. And I pray that the Spirit would fill you with courage, with boldness, to share with your words the surpassing love of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand now. Let's affirm our faith from the Westminster Confession, a bedrock Confession in the second half of our church's constitution. Let us say together what it says. Since there is no other way of salvation than that revealed in the gospel, and since in the divinely established and ordinary method of grace, faith cometh by hearing the word of God, Christ hath commissioned his church to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations. All believers are, therefore, under the obligation to sustain the ordinances of the Christian religion where they are already established and to contribute by their prayers, gifts, and personal efforts to the extension of the kingdom of Christ throughout the whole earth. Amen.
In case you missed last week, we're in the midst of a mission series that I'm calling Sent because God sends us into the world in the same way that he sent his son, Jesus. And we are all missionaries. We are all called to spread the gospel of Jesus in multiple ways and to fulfill Jesus's ministry and Jesus's mission that he left us to do. And so we're looking at Jesus's ministry and mission as threefold. We're looking at his ministry as proclamation, which is what we looked at this week, as provision for those needs of the world that are there, and as protection for the most vulnerable among us. And so it's threefold. So even though I sounded very strong today on proclamation, don't miss me in any sense. The proclamation is meant to go along with actions that back up the proclamation. Your life should reflect the gospel, and then your mouth should say the words of the gospel message. It should go hand in hand, and it's when we neglect one or the other that we miss it. And so this week, this week, my charge to you is simple. Spend at least 10 minutes praying to God this week to show you where you need to correct your behavior in your life so that you're a better witness and where you might have opportunities to share the good news of Jesus so that you might see them and you might walk into them and share God's love with those who he's already put in your life to hear.